Welcome to Insightful Leaders. I'm your host, Ryan Stewart, and this is a show where I interview proven leaders in customer insights and customer experience who share their stories, strategies, and insights to drive meaningful change in your organization. Our guest for today's episode is David Gardner. David is, seen, is a senior CX and insights leader committed to driving meaningful change across organizations by focusing on uncovering actionable customer insights. He's currently Vice President of Research and Insights at TalkDesk, a San Francisco-based B2B technology company which is making waves in the cloud-based contact center space. We're excited to have David on the show to share his insights and unique perspective on doing more with the data you already have. Welcome, David. Nice to be here, Ryan. I thought a good place to start off today might be um, around your thoughts on the collection of customer feedback data. Um, And I I have a hunch based on what I've seen out there in the real world that um, much of the attention around customer feedback at the moment is paid to the collection side of customer feedback, Um, where we are collecting the feedback, how it's structured, who we're surveying, how frequently, and what software platforms we're using to do that collection, plus a whole bunch of other collection-related issues. In your view, how can large organizations become more efficient with the customer data that they already have? That is a great question, and it's one that um, I've been asked by a couple of colleagues and, and other folks in the industry as well. And uh, Ryan, it really comes down to, I think, understanding if you already have data in-house, you should be maximizing it as much as possible. So the way I like to, to think of things is if, you know, in my world at TalkDesk, if I have an executive come and say, hey, do we have information related to this? Or can we do a survey or talk to some executives about this topic? The first thing I always ask is, what are you trying to achieve? And is this something we already have available to us? So a, a good example is we, we like many other organizations, we run an NPS program. We run an in-app NPS program, and we also run a quarterly NPS program with some of our decision makers. And I always look at these benchmark programs like NPS, or if you have a CSAT program and go back and say, do we have inklings of data that already exists there that can help answer this question you're looking to to get answered? Uh, Is this something that we can look back on some of those verbatims or get some guidance on some of the scores, whether it's from past waves, current wave, that gives you some sense of, of, of what you're trying to address. So I think looking at your benchmark programs is always something that you should consider. It shouldn't always be just a score that happened and then you've moved to the next quarter or you moved to the next year. It should be, is there some, some insight in there that you can continue to use? Uh, and I always say, you know, you should be leveraging sort of your, if you have a central insights team or if you have a central BI team, leverage them to ask if you have some of that data in-house or find out ways if you have access to, to that on your own, perhaps to gather that data and, and be able to pull it out yourselves. Because so much of the time you have data just sitting there that's not being used and data is just data unless it's, uh, unless it's being used. So I think that is important. And the other thing uh, I have started doing myself and I think is a, a huge gold mine is if you are in an organization that sells anything, oftentimes you have an RFP uh, process where you're receiving RFPs perhaps through your sales uh, organization. Go look at those RFPs. That is a gold mine of data to really help reveal where you know market appetite might be, where it's heading, and where you may have gaps in your offer, because I think that in and of itself can be an insight that's super valuable. 
Interesting. And have you had much success or have you seen much success on trying to tap into those data sources that organizations might already have outside of the survey world? I The reason why I ask is the explosion of digital in the last decade or two, you know, all of a sudden there's big plays in the support center space, um, companies like Zendesk and others, the chatbots are becoming um, uh, a thing that companies are relying a lot on, social media listening technology, you know, even depending on the type of organisation that you are, you might have some complaints data rolling into the organisation. Have you seen much success um, when trying to answer a fundamental business question or trying to arrive at a particular insights in order to, to make better decisions, tapping into those sources of data other than just the, the net promoter score or the survey style data? Oh, absolutely. And and a lot of that comes down to uh, if you are collecting that type of information, whether it is part of a traditional, you know, NPS survey or CSAT, or if you have conversations, for example, we, you know, sometimes we will have conversations with with um, with customers or whatnot. And, and if it's a recording of that conversation and we start to see a sentiment analysis coming through, we'll be able to use that to help drive direction of how we tackle that particular customer's uh, issue moving forward. And certainly with all of the open and rich data we get as part of our surveys that are ongoing, they're not they're not always point in time. Uh, we use that data to really understand, you know, what is the direction we need to pivot here with either this type of account, whether it's an enterprise account or whether it's very very specific to an industry. So, absolutely, I think leaning into kind of those those uh, that unstructured data is always incredibly valuable because it is often sort of what I call the gold mine of that's where really all of the action happens because it, a lot of the times the numbers will only tell you kind of guidance and you really have to go to that that verbatim from a customer or that verbatim from the market to really tell the true story and for insights teams to do this effectively you know i i can imagine a world where um, the support center is is quite is the owner of the support center software right and you know maybe this the complaints also come into the support center there's a degree of ownership over that data by that business unit is there a level of kind of executive sponsorship or or uh, some uh, some way that the organization needs to be orientated to kind of give that insights team permission to to access that data or or collect it efficiently so they can use it in their synthesis of the insights well, it's interesting that you say that because that's actually in, in a lot of the research we've done uh, globally uh, with executives and CX professionals, we're hearing the demands for leveraging contact centers as a place of, of data and intelligence to service the entire business. So I think there is an, we're at a sort of an interesting moment in the time where having the ability to take advantage of, of all of the incoming conversations, whether they are through voice, whether through digital, being able to leverage all that insight and put it back up to the business is something in demand. But I think a lot of organizations are still trying to figure out how that happens because historically, contact centers have sort of been and an offshoot, they've been perceived as being sort of the service-oriented afterthought. That's how you tackle customer uh, service and support, but it hasn't been really considered that the, the true capability of it being a data intelligence hub to the rest of the business. So I think there is really is an opportunity for that, and it's about how can you 
how can you really continue to tell that story and, and, and talk to us? We really believe that this is something that executives need to be aware of. And that's the message we continue to tell and market is that your contact center can be reimagined and really can be elevated to be a true data center. And I think if you can get that executive buy-in, particularly with those that are who, who own things like customer experience or uh, customer support or customer success, they'll start to recognize the value. And, and it can actually be driven up, up through the organization if you can really tr truly prove the ROI with it. Mm. And do you, this idea of, um, you know, I'm going to use the word weaponizing the support center to actually make it a center for customer intelligence and a driver mm -hmm. for understanding and change of customer experience. I myself have seen a trend um, that, uh, of, you know, I almost call it wave one and wave two of customer experience where customer experience emerged in the last decade or so as a really important um, competitive dimension, especially for digital businesses, right? There's all the statistics out there from organizations like Gartner that say in 2019, over 90% of businesses think that they compete mostly on customer experience alone. Um, and the ways that people have tried to address that as a competitive dimension, I saw quite a bit. And I think, you know, there was a, a famous uh, uh, Wall Street Journal article about uh, Net Promoter School that touched on this, which is the customer experience was delegated somewhat to the staff in organisations that actually touch the customer, of which um, the support agents and the people working in the support centre would be chief in that area, right? We'd seen that, that customer experience as a responsibility of those people that actually talk to and deal with the customer. But more recently, those organisations that really are winning in customer experience have, have changed their thinking to make customer experience an entire organisation problem, to establish these insight teams that have the responsibility of understanding the experience across all of the different touch points, you know, support centre being chief amongst them, and getting those insights into the hands of leaders because realistically when people have bad experiences with a digital business, it's very rarely that that, that bad experience is due to the performances of someone that um, in the support centre. It's much more common than that bad experience is driven by a high friction part of the journey that they've been subjected to that the person the support center doesn't control right the person the support center is trying to treat the symptoms but they can't they can't treat the underlying cause leadership needs to be the ones that have visibility of that poor customer experience who can make the changes uh, to reduce that friction the poor person the support center or that's standing in the store dealing with the customer can only do so much to try and improve that customer experience so have you seen does my view there match up your own view of you know the first wave of customer experience really saw people delegating customer experience to the roles in the organization that were dealing directly with the customer and there's now a new wave emerging where people are understanding that cx is organizational wide and they need to understand the journey across all the data touch points in order to, to to maximize their return and really win in the customer experience space. Saying that you you say it that way, and and I have two thoughts on this. First and foremost is we did some we did some global research a couple months back, and we asked uh, CX professionals and decision makers in the, in the space, you know, who owns customer experience in your organization, and it came back that a lot of people really truly believed that it was owned at that C level because now 
to your to everything you just said, Ryan, is the expectation is you can truly differentiate on customer experience, but it has to be driven from the top down. There has to be a fundamental belief that you are only as good as your customer's last best experience. So in order to do that, you have to prioritize how you're going to deliver customer experience, seamless experience that is across all parts of the journey, as you said, and really the expectation is growing from customers that they will really will truly have a seamless experience no matter which way they decide to interact with your brand. And if you have a broken experience, even though you know uh, that that support person who is working so tirelessly to deliver great customer experience, um, if they deliver something and then someone else on a different channel says something else that creates a friction, creates that frustration and that customer, if they have a bad experience, they are so much more likely to not go back to that brand versus if they had that seamless experience. So absolutely, I totally agree with your your idea of, of V1 and V2. Let's, if you don't mind, let's get back uh, to the operational side of things for a minute. In your experience, what are some of the common pitfalls companies should be aware of when collecting large volumes of customer feedback? You know, I think there, there's there could be a number of different pitfalls. My biggest pitfall that I, I, I've seen over time and again is the idea that always, assuming sort of more is always better. Uh, more data is better. Uh, more frequent data is better. The reality is I've seen it lead to analysis paralysis more so than I've seen it deliver better insights or better actionable insights to a business. Uh, I think the idea that data expires you know, tomorrow or a week from now is is not necessarily true. I think it's about how you use your data and how you reference your data. Uh, you can be very, very smart with how you use data, even if it's a couple of months old or a couple quarters old. So I think being really thoughtful about what you're trying to achieve and the questions you have to ask uh, and, and the knowledge you're trying to get will be beneficial uh, so that you can then figure out what is the actual amount of customer data we need here to make a decision or what is the amount of customer data we need to collect, period. So if you are doing survey-based research, for example, you know, do you need to ask 50 questions? Do you really only need five questions? And therefore, you can be thoughtful and save time and answer the questions you need to answer without frustrating or creating friction for your customers or for the market. Um, at the same time, if you're using customer data that you already have in-house, let's say it's product usage data, again, do you really need to slice it and dice it 26 ways from Tuesday, or, or do you have the ability to look at three dimensions and that's all you need to come up with a key headline of what you need to do next? Could, could that be rephrased as um, thinking about how you can be more efficient with the data that you have? hundred percent. I think that is that is ultimately what you're trying to always do is be more efficient with the data you have. Always start with what is the outcome you're looking to achieve and then work backwards to figure out how can you get there in the most efficient and, and streamlined way to answer your question. And I, my philosophy and the way that I work with my team and the way that I work with my colleagues is let me address this question for you. And if you have additional follow-ups, we can dive into that. But I, I would rather work on getting something to you faster and that will answer your specific question than worrying about cutting it and slicing it all these different ways when at the end of the day, all you needed was one data point. Got it. I heard you a minute or two ago mention actionable insight. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot for a second here. How would you describe an actionable insight? 
Well, that's a good question. Uh, I, I would probably say it's the idea that it's an insight that provides sort of enough context to fuel a data-driven decision. So in my mind, if I was to break it apart or simplify it, it's the idea of, you know, there's the what, the so what, and the now what. And the actionable insight is the now what part. So it's the idea of, um, uh, let's, okay. I was looking at this statistic earlier, so I know for true. It said 43% of CX professionals say the cost of tools is a barrier to AI implementation. Okay, so that was a statistic we, we gathered as part of research. So to me, the so what is there's a cost concern. So we need to get ahead of this uh, as an organization like TalkDesk by showcasing that the ROI that comes from the investment versus emphasizing or, or getting people hung up on the idea of the initial upfront investment. So the now what to me is we need to re revisit our focus and messaging to make sure we highlight that ROI so that that is something that we get well ahead of before that concern's even raised. So to me, it's the, the now what versus kind of the what or the so what. That's super interesting. In your, so your role now, VP of Research and Insights, um, I want to ask you a question regarding organizational structure. Um, and I, I imagine this question doesn't have one true answer. I imagine this is the answer to the question is subjective. So I'm keen to hear your, what your thoughts are. I've seen two models of insights teams at organizations. One is a centralized insights function um, where the team sits together. It's almost treated as a as a individual business unit that questions come in through the front door and answers come out the other side. And there's some ongoing reporting that the insights function does to the leadership of the business in order to help them make better decisions. I've also seen the second model where there is an insights function, but these people sit in individual business units that might sit in, you know, product, marketing, sales, whatever it is. Um, they will do their analysis individually within that business unit and provide insights to the business unit, the management of that business unit, but they get together as a function and insights function, almost like a guild, if you would like every now and again, to make sure that they're adhering to certain practices and, and sharing, you know, wins and, and best approaches. Do you have an opinion on which of those two is a better model or is there a third model that you've come across that you think works even better? I, I do have an opinion. I think the latter is a, uh, well, perhaps it's somewhere in between the two, but let me tell you a little bit about the structure of how we have it at Top Desk and why I think it works well, which is we are a centralized research and insights function, but we have dedicated insights managers to different parts of the business. So for example, we have uh, a dedicated industry insights manager on the team and we have a dedicated product insights manager on the team. And the reason that we have these sort of dedicated focus areas so, so that uh, Antonio, for example, who leads our industry insights, he can become a subject matter expert in speaking the language of our customers in financial services and understanding the nuances that exist in that industry versus our healthcare practice versus our retail practice. And then we have Margie, who leads product, for example, and she's becoming a subject matter expert in the different types of product areas that we specialize in at TalkDesk in our contact center solution software areas so that she can really truly have the conversations with the executives, be able to be an expert when she's speaking on these topics. Because a lot of times we do external thought leadership work and we want to make sure we've got individuals who are SMEs, 
But at the same time, sitting together in one function, we are able to benefit from streamline operational efficiency and cross collaboration so that we're learning from one another so that we are a stronger team united, but that we have that sector specialty across the different business units. Yeah, interesting. So kind of a middle ground there, which, you know, makes sense because there's pros and cons to both models. So try to grab as many pros from each of the models as you can and, and work with the hybrid models. Definitely sounds like a good idea. It, it sounds like you're doing some really great stuff at TalkDesk. Can you give our audience some insight into how you are innovating and translating your voice of the customer into actionable insights um, for your business? Well, absolutely. So, I, I mean, there's a number of different things that TalkDesk is, is known for. I mean, we are considered, we are a native contact center solution provider, and we are really focused on everything from innovation to customer obsession. But I would say a couple of highlights of things we've done to really innovate in the market and where the voice of the customers played a significant role is is a, a couple of weeks back, we actually relaunched our brand and market to really truly embrace the entity of TalkDesk, which is one focused on delivering customer experience in a better way. Uh, everything from being international to speaking the language of our customers in key industries, we really are delivering a new brand to the market. And all of this was done in collaboration with voice of market and voice of customer feedback all throughout that. So we were certainly able to understand how we were perceived in the market, uh, what kind of messaging people were looking to hear that resonates with different businesses. We were able to gather a lot of that research and really parlay that into the development of this new brand that we launched, which was really, really fantastic. And similarly, we, you know, we, recently launched our, our workspace and our builder products, our, our customizable user interface and our tools to help build out um, uh, for our builder audience. And all of this was done, all this product research was done with the voice of the customer and the voice of market. So everything we sort of bring to the market has been touched by research in some capacity or the voice of the customer in some capacity, uh, even, even everything from TalkDesk research itself. So I joined TalkDesk back in August and you know, I came here with a vision. How can we really make sure that we are making smarter decisions across the organization? And how can we also parlay that out to the market and in having conversations with uh, our chief marketing officer kathy johnson you know we started doing some research and started really bringing some insightful things to the organization and she had a great idea is you know i want to make sure that our customers and our prospective customers are able to take advantage of the insights that we are also gleaning from um, and that was the genesis of talk desk research which is a subset, a sub-brand that we've created, and we are now developing external thought leadership reports that go out. We release them every other month, everything from the CX revolution in financial services to the, the future of AI in the contact center. These are thought-provoking, proprietary, research-backed thought leadership reports that we are putting out there under the Talk Desk Research umbrella. And that really gives the market an opportunity to understand what we're seeing in the market, what we're hearing from executives in CX, and it really kind of sets us apart, I think, in many ways as a thought leader in the contact center space. I, I had a quick look before we jumped on um, to this episode at TalkDesk, and it looks like they're, they're, they're just over 10 years old now. Um, I want to ask you two questions in one. Um, 
I realize you've only been at TalkDesk relatively recently, but is there any key learnings that you've acquired along the way, either that TalkDesk has acquired or you've acquired at TalkDesk or that you've just acquired in your own professional career that are worth sharing in particular, anything that you think you would have done differently? It's a good question. I think the um, one of the key learnings that I've learned along the way, and it's it's more a shout out to our, our CEO, uh, Tiago Paiva. And he's also the founder of TopDesk. And I, when I joined, it was um, the idea of being able to build a research and insights function. And, and that really gave me a lot of excitement because I know how powerful it can be to the success of a business. But Tiago himself, he has always been a huge proponent of listening to the customers. And it was so, uh, it was so um, gratifying to join and understand someone who was already out there in the market as a CEO, talking to customers, learning from them, and really blazing the trail of being able to take that in and really help make decisions based on that customer feedback. So for me, the key learning is, I might have come in to really help build this function and, and really bring TalkDesk to the next level that we're, we're marching forward with, but it, it really started at this our CEO level. So having that ability to have someone believe in the idea of the voice of the customer, the voice of the market at the very, very top is, is something that I think is a differentiator. And I'm just grateful that we have that. And again, Kathy Johnson, our CMO, is a perfect example of that because she was the one who believed in this function as well to make it happen. And your second question of anything that I would have done differently, I think the answer is I, I, I probably would have liked to spend a little bit more time thinking through how we go to market with that talk desk research brand. Um, I think you know we have done a really great job, but I wish I could have done a bigger splash to make it much more of a differentiator up front. We are out there and we're producing those reports and we are delivering it, but I wish I had that opportunity to make a bigger, bigger splash. But uh, but it, I think you know what we're we're doing really really well in that space, and I'm excited to to see the continued evolution of those reports. So um, so that's what I think. Amazing, David. Thank you. Um, that's been super insightful. It's been great to hear from someone that uh, is is in the industry has been for a while on on how to structure teams and some of the key challenges that they're going to come across, and and even get down to the operational level of. Um, what data we should be using and how we should be using it. I'm going to move on to our rapid fire question round, if that's all right with you. Um, I've got five rapid fire questions to ask you about customer experience and insights and about yourself. You ready to get going? Okay, let's do it. Okay, first question. What's the best piece of customer experience or insights advice you've ever received? Uh, Focus on one to two key things that you can tell your audience, hitting them over the head with too many, do this, do that, do this, do that. It gets overwhelming. So focus on one or two things to tell them and they'll be able to be successful in doing that. What are you most excited about in the world of customer experience or insights right now? In customer experience, AI, AI, AI. I love the idea of pushing forward and focusing on automating, you know, 80% of interactions and being, you know, enabling AI to be a true partner to all CX professionals. Uh, what book would you recommend to our audience and why? My favorite business book I've ever read, and it's partly because the way it's designed is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick uh, Lencioni. It's fantastic. If you haven't read it, you should check it out. Everyone should read it. 
I haven't read it actually. I'm going to add it to my list and we'll link it in the show notes so people can find it easily. If I was to ask you which person or company is really nailing it when it comes to customer experience or insights, who comes to mind? Mm. Well, I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to say Amazon because we know that they are an expert. They have a lot of data, but I would actually say Instacart. I think Instacart is a great example of a company that's been pushed into the spotlight given, the light, uh, given everything that's happened over the last year and a half. And they are doing a great job of trying to truly understand their customer to create better experiences for them. What's an interesting little fun fact about you that most people wouldn't know? If I wasn't in Insights, I'd be a winemaker. It's a passion of mine. I love wine and I, my other half and I spend lots of time in non-pandemic times visiting great wine regions all around the world. So I shout out to Australia, the Yarra Valley, the Barossa Valley, beautiful wine. What that, I have to say you thoroughly met the criteria of that question. That is very much a, a left of field fact. Um, <laughs> if folks want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I am a big fan of LinkedIn, so please feel free to connect with me. I'd be happy to have a conversation. Stay in touch. Amazing. David, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It's been really insightful for me. Um, It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it, Ryan.